Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Wrap. My name is Vela Sebrow. Decades have passed since World War II, but the memories are being kept alive. The stories of the atrocities of the Holocaust and what people endured still emerge. The actual accounts and the novels that are based on facts. With us today is Tara Eisen, who wrote a book called At the Hour Between Dog and Wolf. At the hour between dog and wolf is the story of a 12-year-old Parisian Jewish girl in World War II France living in hiding. She was living as a Catholic orphan with a family in a small village. When Daniela Martin's father is killed during the early days of the German occupation, her mother sends her to live in a quiet farming town near Limoges in Vichy, France. Now called Marie-Jean Chantier, I hope I'm pronouncing it right because I'm not French. <laughs> I'm not either. So <laughs> you're, no you're probably laughing. Uh, da- Daniela, in her new identity, struggles to balance the truth of what's happened to her family and her country with the lies she must tell to keep herself safe. At first, she's bitter about being left behind by her mother and horrified at having to milk the cow and memorize the Catholic prayers for church. But as the years pass and the occupation worsens, Daniela finds it easier to suppress her former life entirely. And Maria John, Jean, Jean, becomes less and less of an act. She got used to it. She just got used to her new identity and it became part of her. And so by the time she's 15 and there is talk amongst the now divided town of an allied invasion, not only has Daniela lost the memories of her father's face and the smell of her mother's perfume and her cooking for sure, but her very self transforming into a devout Catholic and an anti-Semitic fervent discipline of fascism. Tara, it gives me tremendous honor and pleasure to welcome you to the Definitive Rap. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the book and what's going on yeah. in the book. And, yeah. Now that I have given our audience a little glimpse into the story, um, as a writer myself, I'm always curious how other writers come up with ideas. So how did you come up for the idea for this story? Um, I, it's an idea that's been with me since childhood um, in that my stepmother was a hidden child in World War II. Oh. Um, in Hungary, she was a little five-year-old Jewish girl in Hungary. What part of Hungary? Um, the town or city she lived in was Kosice. I don't know much more um, right. than that, um, but she was sent to live uh, out in the country on a farm with a Catholic family, uh, and she was given a new name, and she was taught the Catholic prayers, and she doesn't remember much more about it, but she does remember being told, don't ever, ever cry, and I've, my stepmother is now in her 80s. I've known her since I was 12 years old. We're very close. And to this day, I, I have never seen her cry. 
So, so who told I her? Think those who, lessons get really internalized. The the trauma. Sure, you know, sure. She survived became, the war. Uh, she was relatively safe. She it was it was not a horrible experience. But I think that trauma uh, runs deep. So who told her not to cry? Who instructed her that way? You know, I don't have a lot of details. I know that the people who were taking care of her, who were good to her and kind, you know, they were risking quite a lot in taking in this little Jewish girl. And I don't remember who who warned her, but she was, it was very clear to her, at, even at that age, what was at stake and how dangerous a situation it was. So after I had written my first novel and I was sort of thinking about what my, my next project would be, this is 25 years ago. Um, I thought about this. I, I, learned, I met my stepmother when I was 12, but I learned about this and it had always stayed with me. And the idea of being a child or a, a young person in a situation like that, where you know, your identity is still, you're still not sure who you are. And then to sort of impose this other identity onto that, I just thought that psychologically that must be so difficult and so confusing. Um, it's not, I want to be really clear. It's not my stepmother's story at all. No, um, I understand. And my character is much older. Right. Yeah. That, that's how you became inspired to write the story. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Vichy was also the town where the French government collaborated with the German Nazis. Why did you set the story in World War II France as opposed to another occupied country? Um, I knew I didn't want to send, set it in my stepmother's Hungary because I felt I knew absolutely nothing about Hungary. Mm. I felt initially that I was much more uh, familiar, comfortable with French culture. I'd gone to school in France. I spoke a little French. Now you're probably laughing started, at me the way I'm pronouncing French. Words. I, I, mispro- mean, I, I mispronounce <laughs> it too. I mispronounce it too. Um, and I initially it was a rather casual thought like oh well I'll just set it in France I've heard of the Vichy government I knew that they collaborated with the Nazis but as I started doing my research I had no idea how how complex how rich how critical the French experience would become to the novel I mean at this point I can't imagine having said it anywhere else, because I think the, the circumstances in France were very, very unique. Their, their decision to collaborate. Uh, and when I say they, I want to be really clear, because when the Germans invaded France, you know, there was a portion of French society saying, we are going to continue fighting to the, you know, we, we are not going to give up. But the Germans were massacring the, the, the French army. Yes. And so there was another portion of French society that said, they are going to destroy us. We all know the Nazis are going to win. We all know they're going to take over the world. So better we surrender and basically join forces with them. And they will allow us to stay France. You know, we won't be a conquered nation. We'll be like Germany's little buddy. Um, And that's the best path to take. And initially a lot of, you know, a significant portion of the, the French people you know, they wanted the, 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 the killing to stop. But as the war went on, what collaboration meant became increasingly uh, immoral and, and chilling and brutal. You know, the, the terms of collaboration 
initially seemed like, oh, okay, this is the safe way to go. Everything will be fine. But the Germans were still very brutal to the French. And over the time, over the period of time, the, the belief that we should fight this and that we should resist obviously developed and increased and became the French resistance. Oh. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible era of history. There is so much history in this book. What kind of research did you do? Yeah, no, I loved when you were doing the introduction, when you, you referenced facts, the, the facts of the story. And I appreciate that because I wanted to get the facts right. Um, I wanted to, first of all, wanted to honor the experience. Not my experience, but I wanted to honor the experience. So yes, it was a, a, an enormous amount of, of research, 25 years of research. And it included, you know, the, the sort of classic, what we think of as research, a lot of history books. Um, a lot of books, scholarly books on the history of um, the Vichy government, the, the geopolitical situation of World War II, but also a lot of research into Judaism. I, I'm Jewish, but I don't know a lot about Jewish history. So I needed to understand the Jewish experience during the war. Also a lot of research into Catholicism, because as you said, my character gradually denies her Jewish heritage and becomes a devout Catholic. And I had to understand the, the, the lure of that, what she found in the Catholic faith that right, would, right. Would, would be reassuring. But also a great deal of research into the experience of hidden children. Um, you know, thousands and thousands of children uh, were hidden and survived during the war and had a huge variety of experiences you know some like my stepmother were relatively safe relatively comfortable but a lot of children went through brutal conditions um, there's no one story of of a hidden child of war yes I know. and yeah. so i did a lot of research in you know a lot of a lot of memoirs a lot of novels also a lot of documentaries a lot of um dramatic films and television a lot of novels either set in the era, written during the era, or, or, or set in, or, or about the era, set in the era. Um, but I would say that my favorite form of research is always experiential, which means I got to go to France a lot and, you know, travel the country. I, I wanted to find the right area of the country to set the novel in. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, you know, literally breathe the air of my characters. I, I wanted to see the color of the twilight sky that they saw I wanted to see the the sunflower stalks, you know, dying at the end of the summer. I wanted to feel the cobblestones beneath their feet. All of those details that um, I think make fiction feel very, very real. So, yes, I wanted to get the facts of history right, but I also wanted the experience of this young Jewish-French girl living in a remote French village during World War II to feel as authentic as I, as I possibly could. Well, you wanted to feel what she was feeling. Yeah. What is she, what, what is she smelling? Years. Thing, touching. Yeah. 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 25 years. That's, yeah. that's Labor a of love. great chunk of life. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I would work on it for, you know, very intensely for a while. I would put it down, you know, if it, it's an intense book to work on. So I would yes. put it down for a period of time um, and I would work on other, you know, I'd write another book or I would, have other experiences in the world, but I always went back to it. And I will say that 
when I began writing it 20, 25 years ago, excuse me, I was primarily interested in the psychological experience of the character. You know, how do you take a 12 year old, a young person, who again, whose sense of self is still forming, is still fragile. And, you know, under the influence of extremist ideologies, anti-Semitism, um, uh, uh, fascism, racism, um, you know, all of these ugly sort of anti, you know, the xenophobia. How do the, how can those influences poison and shape and manipulate um, a vulnerable young mind? But it wasn't until, you know, probably six or seven years ago that I realized how political a novel it, it actually is. And to be experiencing the resurgence of global anti-Semitism and fascism um, is very disturbing. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, it makes it a very timely novel. Yeah. Is the village of uh, La Perrine real? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, uh, yes, I, you know, La Perrine, if I'm being uh, fancy. Right <laughs> okay. Um, is the, is no, that, is the is, village of La Perrine real? No, beautiful. Um, no, it's not. I created a fictional village just as I created fictional characters, other than okay. all of the historical figures who are, you know, authentic. Um, I, I definitely wanted to create a fictional village and fictional characters. Um, okay. So, but I, the, it is set just outside of the, the small city of Limoges in the, the sort of southwestern part of France, which initially was the unoccupied zone. Initially, the Germans occupied sort of the, the northern half. But as the war went on, the Germans eventually did occupy, occupy the southern half also. Um, and a significant reason that I decided to set the novel near the town of Limoges was because in my research, I discovered the village of Orador sur Glan, which was right outside of Limoges. And um, it was a very small village. And in the final, the, the final days of the war, it was over. The Germans know they knew they'd lost. They massacred the men, women, and children of this village, yeah. uh, 600 people, just for the hell of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, I wanted to honor and memorialize that experience. And so it was a major reason why I set the novel where I did was in order to, I have, I have a character who lives in that village. And, um, yeah. and so another I, reason I, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, another reason I set the knowledge, the novel, the knowledge, the novel in the Southern zone was that I, because it's related to the anti-Semitic policies of the Vichy government. And this was something I learned a lot about in my research. Um, you know, I knew the, I, you, I've heard that there's a, there's always been a vein of anti-Semitism in French culture. Um, I've never experienced it personally, but when the Vichy government agreed to collaborate with the Nazis, that vein of anti-Semitism was encouraged to flourish. And initially the Jews in the Northern half of France, the occupied zone were required to wear the yellow star. Um, and one of the things I learned is that the, the Vichy government, in order to prove their loyalty to the Nazis, began rounding up Jews in the early days of the war before the, the Germans asked them to. And they did it as sort of a good faith, you know, look, we're on your side. 
you know, we're friends with you now. Here are all of these human beings. My God. So initially, because my character, Danielle, goes down to the, the southern zone, that wasn't existing in the early days of the war. And so her Jewish identity, while still a threat and still very dangerous for her, the stakes didn't feel, I think, quite as perilous. But as the war went on, um, the Germans took over the southern half and the Jews in the southern half were then required to wear the yellow star. And there's a moment in the novel, it's about halfway through, when Danielle has very much transitioned into becoming Marie-Jean, this little Catholic orphan she has been pretending to be. Um, and again, this is out of fear. This is out of terror. I, you know, I, I, to, she is told when she first arrives on this farm, here's your new identity, your new Catholic name, you're, you're the Catholic person. If you make a mistake, the police are going to come kill all of us. So that's a lot of pressure on a 12-year-old. And gradually the, the indoctrination, the propaganda, the manipulation of the fascist ideology takes hold. And so when the Jews in the Southern Zone were required to wear the Jewish star, there's a moment in the second half of the novel where she's now fully Marie-Jean. She has not just suppressed her Jewish heritage, but would actively deny that she was ever a little Jewish girl. She believes that she's a good Catholic girl. And she's writing a letter to someone and she says something to the effect of, you know, our priest is upset that the Jews in the Southern zone now need to wear the yellow star. But I don't see what the problem is because first of all, they look like regular people. So that way, you know, everybody can know who they really are. But also, they should be proud to wear the yellow star because it's a mark of their faith, isn't it? It isn't any different from a good Christian person wearing a cross around their neck. Wow. And because by now she, she wears a crucifix. And I found, I, I, I have to say, I find that moment really important and powerful because it's her way of rationalizing. You know, it's like a willful ignorance. Right. Over what, I mean, you put that star on, you are, you are, it's, you know, you are signaling yourself out for a death sentence. Yes. And, you know, she wants to be able to rationalize that it, it's not, it's not that big a deal. She needed to do that. She just needed to do that. Are other characters uh, in the book real or? Uh, no. Fictional? No, I created, I created um, all of the characters in the village um they're uh, you know again the, the historical figures that i reference um are, are very much real and again that was part of my wanting to honor the history and also the real life people whether they are the leader of the vichy government or the leader of the resistance or you know these are very strong personalities of of the era and so th those are all real people but none of them have an actual presence in in the novel Story feels very timely, uh, given how right-wing ideologies are on the rise globally. Were you thinking of the political context when you wrote the book? No. No, I really wasn't. I was interested in the, the, the question of identity and the, 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 the fragility of identity and the slipperiness of identity. 
And as I was saying, I would, I would work on the novel. I'd put it down for a few years. I'd work on it. I'd put it down for a few years. And I picked it up probably five years ago, you know, and thought, okay, I, 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 how long am I going to wait before I try to get this novel out right. into the world? And uh, 25 I years, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a long time. And I reread it. And, you know, again, let's you know, not forget what was happening five or six years ago in this country. And I was shocked to see characters in my novel, you know, sections in the novel that I'd written 10 years earlier, giving voice to dialogue about how, you know, the immigrants are, um, they don't belong here. We've taken too many of them in. They're stealing our jobs. They'll we can't trust them. They'll never really be French wow. at, at heart. Um, you know, so again, the, the, the xenophobia and the, the, the anti-Semitic ideology um, that is in the headlines. And, you know, we're hearing world, world leaders talking about it. It's on the news every night. And I mean, I was just, yesterday I did an event and just before I threw the book and just before I went, I went up on stage, I was checking my email and the Arizona ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, had just announced a new report on the rise of anti-Semitic incidents in Arizona yeah. in the first quarter yeah. of this year, and they have skyrocketed. Yes, yes. So I didn't, in, like I said, I didn't set out to write a political book, but it, it clearly is. And even though it's set, I mean, how many years ago now is World War II? 60 years? 70 years ago? It's, it's more than that. It's, you know, uh... have, we learned, have we learned nothing? Yeah. I, we're, we're reliving much of it to yeah. to some degree it's very frightening it seems that many of your characters initially seem like good people or bad people but then everything we know about them shifts doesn't it yeah oh thank you for saying that um yeah i i think very few of us are pure saints or pure or pure sinners i i you know i think okay there's evil over far on the spectrum and their sainthood on the other side of the spectrum. And I think we're all somewhere in the middle, just trying to do the best we can. And I, I wanted characters who reflected that, that complexity. I mean, I think we all have the potential for, for goodness and we all have the potential for, you know, evil, if you want to call it that word hmm. with, within us. That's and interesting. I, I wanted the characters to, I wanted to show the influence over time. Oh, I see. And how an experience like this war and the ideologies that we're fighting in this war and the physical conditions of, of the war, the privation, the scarcity. I mean, the Germans were starved, you know, the French were supposed to be friends with the Germans and the Germans were absolutely starving the, the French to death, taking their food and, and everything. Um, yeah. I wanted to show the complexity of how people respond to pressures like this. And so wow. perhaps a character that goes into this situation with a predetermined belief set or ideology might be forced to reckon with some of those beliefs and, and have decisions to make, choices to make. I really wanted Danielle to often be in a situation where she has to make choices you know does she go to the left or do, does she go to the right and one of the, the insidious things I think about 
um, in how the propaganda, the manipulation works is how it, it can start out with just these tiny, tiny little decisions, these tiny, tiny little steps that don't seem, seem like such a big deal, but you know, can start you down a path like Danielle takes that ultimately is um, very, very disturbing. So I wanted to show characters who began the story, went into this, the war with a certain belief system, but when confronted with some of the challenges of this experience, chose very different paths. And, you know, some of them go to the left and some of them go to the right. And I don't, I don't actually mean that politically. I just mean some of them go this way, some of them go that way. Um, some, some go toward the light, some go toward the darkness. Right. And, you know, I wanted, I, I wanted some of that to be a surprise. Um, you know, the novel is only told from Danielle's point of view. So we have characters changing sort of off screen. And we don't really learn how they have changed or evolved until Danielle herself is, is confronted with, you know, the changes. And here's a character, of, you know, a person in the village who she always thought um, felt one way about things. Right. And she is surprised to learn that there's a whole different dimension to them. Wow. So she's a very complex character. I mean, and, and there's a paradox in how she changes over time in that she begins as a stubborn, spoiled, mistrustful child, even unlikable. But yeah. as her character takes over, a new character, as this Catholic girl, she's in many, in, in many ways, she becomes more selfless and compassionate, all yes. while turning into an anti-Semitic fascist. I, I am so happy to hear you say that because yes yes I, I, the, the, she is a paradox I think like initially when she gets there this this family the, this husband this Catholic farming couple have taken her in and she as you say she's pampered she's spoiled she's sophisticated she's a little Parisian French girl and she is sort of dumped on this farm and she is so disdainful of them they're ignorant they're peasants they're dirty they're Catholic but over time, you know, she's still a child and they have taken her in out of the goodness of their hearts. They're putting right. themselves at risk and they take very good care of her. And over time, she comes to um, care deeply for them. They, they come to care deeply for her as well. They're her family now, you know, a couple of years into the war and she comes to love them. A great deal to the degree that she recognizes the sacrifices they made in taking her in and taking such good care of her. And by the age of 14, 15, feels like it is now her responsibility to take care of them. And she does become very selfless and very self-sacrificing and, you know, takes on the responsibility of getting food for the family and, and loving them a great deal. At the same time, she is Yes, becoming being turned into an anti-Semitic fascist. So there is this. It's, weird... un, it's unbelievable yeah. how that happened. I mean, I I I know it's a novel, but it's it's based on reality. I mean, they, I I I know of of situations where uh, there were children who were taken in by by Catholic families, and they were converted, and they became good Catholics, even though they were Jewish by birth. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that but, was not. But that she was remembered. But that, this, this character remembered her life to some extent. I mean, I, certain things, of course, she forgot. Yeah. 
but that she was able to become anti-Semitic, that's... I, I think it's... I, that, think it's, I would it's think it's survival. I think that was her... her oh, it's survival. Because, absolutely. so, you know, it even happened to Jews after the war where they, and they came to yeah. this country and they, some of them did not want to be religious anymore because and they were afraid to look religious because it yeah. meant death. Yeah, I think you can be Jewish and anti-Semitic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like you one know, could, well, one could be a self-hating Jew, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't don't be so Jewish. Don't be so loud. Don't be, right. you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. Don't look Jewish. Don't look Jewish. Don't you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, I, yeah. I mean, I think I. You're absolutely right that when it, it starts out for her, she's you know she's twelve and thinks, oh, I can do this. You know, I, it's like it's like it's just like pretending. It's just like being an actress. You know, she she thinks, oh, this will be easy. But as the war goes on, you know, it's like you live a, a, a game long enough, you live pretend long enough. At what point does it become increasingly real? And, you know, again, she's only she starts out, she's only 12 years old. Um, and, it, it, you know, she starts off thinking this is just a joke. She does make some mistakes. And so... Feels, you want to give us okay, a little bit? I, I mean, I want our I want our audience to read the book, but do you want to give yeah. us a little glimpse into the mistakes? Um, yeah, I will. She um, has she makes a new friend in the village, um, and again, you know, she has been told you're a good little Catholic girl. Don't make a mistake; the police will come kill right, all of us. Right. And it she she bonds with this other little twelve year old girl in the village, and at some point discovers that this little girl and her father are Jewish and everyone in the village knows it and so she's like well why do I have to pretend you know she's thinking to herself why do I have to pretend um and she she sort of realizes she puts it together that the this little girl's father runs the mill and this village has quotas of grain and produce they need to send to the Germans and this Jewish man is killing himself to help this village meet their quotas so the village has sort of tacitly decided to let this Jewish man and his Jewish daughter live in the village without incident. Um, however, there is a, um, uh, a, a visit from a Vichy official, a French Vichy official, right. who comes to the village and he is seemingly very benign and charming. Uh, he comes to the village and he's like, oh, this lovely village, we thank you for all of the produce and the grains you send and, you know, he spots Danielle and he talks to her and he, he, he feels there's something different about her. He thinks he senses something about her. And there's a long scene where he, it's a grooming scene. He, it's an, it's like an interrogation slash grooming scene where initially he seems very benign and he flatters her and you seem like such a special young lady and you're so smart and she knows he's a Vichy official, a Vichy official, so she's very on her on her toes right. about is he about not revealing herself. But at some point, he manipulates her into giving up her friend and her friend's father, which is what the Vichy official was after the whole time. Yeah. And the little girl and her father are taken away, and it it hits my character where she realizes, okay, I need to be better at this. I need to take this more seriously so I don't make any more mistakes. 
And, you know, it, I, I had to calibrate her change over the course of the novel. So that these little steps she takes, and again, it's, it's all, you know, she wants to survive. And then she wants to help her family survive. Yes. And then she wants to help her village survive. Yes. And, you know, she really does buy into the, the, this, the propaganda that if you, if you follow this belief system, if you join us, you know, here's a hierarchy of humanity. We're at the top. We think you can be with us at the top. Right. But if you want to join us up here at the top, you have to realize that everyone below you, uh, primarily in this era, Jews, um, or any, anybody different, um, can't be trusted, wants to topple you off the top of the hierarchy, um, and needs to be contained, needs to be controlled. And, you know, when you're starving, when, when there's a gun at your head, or a gun at your child's head, or a gun at your, your mother's head, I know I'm really intrigued by the moral anguish of these choices that people had to make. I, I, and, you know, once you start making choices like that, where, you, you know, you think you're doing the right thing. Yeah. You yeah. think you're saving your family, your child, your mother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's horrifying. And that's, that's sort of the genius of fan of, of fascist ultra right wing anti-Semitic ideologies is yeah. the, the carrot that is dangled. We will keep you safe. Tara, where can people get this book? How can they get a hold of this book? <laughs> anywhere. This, this, is, this, is this is required reading. Thank you. I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to think so. Um, yes, I mean, it's certainly available on Amazon. Um, I, I, I believe strongly in supporting your local independent bookstore if, if you're lucky enough to have one. Um, so, yeah, you know, please order the book at your local library. Um, if they aren't carrying it, please. Do you have ask a book them. right next to you? Do you have the book right sure, next to you? I do. I do have a copy of Can it you... right next to me. At the okay. Hour. Okay. Great. Yeah. Um, okay. Also, I have a website. Um, okay. I, I'm always please share that with our audience with questions. It's just my name, so it's tarahison.com. Um, and you know, I love hearing from people. If you've got any any questions, I love talking about the book. Obviously, yes, yes. I mean, we could sit and talk about it for hours, but our time is up. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Sarah. Thank you. I so appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And um, thank you for joining us today and um, giving us um, a rich synopsis of this book. And again, I urge our audience to please pick up this book today or as soon as you, as soon as you can. Thank you to our audience for tuning in. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.